This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. This is episode four of the Underdog Podcast, but this is the first edition of the series in which we will talk about the best G5 conference or the Power Six conference. That is the American Athletic Conference. And what's more American than two Joes diving into everything about American football? We're going to call this Joe Talk. I'm Joe Serpico, and I'm happy to be on the other line with Joey Brovac. Joey, say what's up to everyone. Hey, what's going on, everybody? All right, so before we get this all started, you know, we got to do some promotions for Underdog Dynasty, which you can find on Facebook and Twitter. We are also pleased to announce that we just got the okay literally a couple hours ago to now on iTunes for your listening pleasure. So if you can subscribe to the podcast, leave some reviews, let us know how we're doing. We would greatly appreciate it. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Joe Serp. And Joey, let them know where they can find you before we dive into all the football discussion and get this out of the way. Right on. Yeah, so Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, just follow me using my name, Joey Broback, and you should be able to find me there. All right, so basically, the point of this podcast is going to be, if you've been listening to the rest of the Underdog podcast, you've heard the positional previews for Conference USA and the Sun Belt. So what we're going to do today is we're going to go over the AAC version of this, and Joey is the one that's actually wrote all of them. I've kind of been uh, slacking, I'll admit, but life has kind of taken over. But so let's get into that, and then you know later on we're going to talk about some of the guys who've made the national award list, and then end the show with our you know our preseason all conference teams that we actually just released a little bit earlier today. So obviously, Joe, I guess you can't have any discussion without starting with the quarterbacks. Quentin Flowers is a name that is going to be nationally recognized, so he obviously leads the group. But kind of just break down. His chances to, you know, potentially win the Heisman, and what do you also see from the rest of the group? Uh, I think in the group of five, it's really hard for anybody to win the Heisman just because they don't get as much attention as all the Power Five schools, and they don't play. I guess sometimes they don't play nearly the competition that Power Five schools do. Uh, Flowers is a unique talent. He's been compared to um, Louisville's Lamar Jackson. And I really think that he'll have a good year. I just don't know if it'll be enough for him to win the Heisman, per se. But I do think that with all the talent and new head coach, Charlie Strong, he should have a strong season. Obviously, we, you know, not to give a little bit of preview, but we both picked Riley Ferguson from Memphis to be the second-team all-conference quarterback. What do you think of the rest of the group, though? Because after that, it's, you know, it's a lot of unknowns really you know a couple of the conference guys you know they're turning over a quarterback and then you know just have a lot of unknowns throughout right i think uh yeah after, like you said after after ferguson uh there's not a ton of uh known commodities on each team i mean you have ben hicks at smu who took over last season but kind of struggled at the beginning of the season and then picked it up late you have Kyle Allen at Houston, who used to be a five-star top recruit in the nation, and at Texas A&M, and then things just didn't work out, came to Houston, 
he should be a starter there. You don't know what he's going to do just because he hasn't played there and hasn't played with his receivers and the whole offense. And then, but after that, it's, I mean, you have Mackenzie Milton at UCF, and that's pretty much the only other one that I can think of besides maybe Zach Abbey at Navy that is a definitive for sure starter. Everybody else is kind of still trying to figure out who's going to be their starter in week one. Yeah, I totally agree with you there, obviously. So we've kind of, you know, we just mentioned that the Flowers, you know, is in a discussion for some of these other awards lists as well. Any chance he wins anything other, you know, because the Heisman, I obviously think because of Jackson, I don't think it's a realistic possibility, but could he win one of these other awards? And his chances of winning the Offensive Player of the Year, I would think, are better than anybody else's. I would agree. I think Ferguson might push him. For that award, I just think there's so much less pressure on Ferguson than there is Flowers. I mean, obviously both both are well known within the conference and will be a focus for every team that they play. Flowers has a chance uh, to be in the national conversation for like Maxwell. I mean, like we talked about the Heisman. I just think at the beginning of the year he's got to figure out who his receivers are, who his running backs going to be. I mean, we know we have a few names that we'll talk about later. So I think just right now it's too early for me to say that, yeah, for sure he's going to win something or no, he's not. Yeah, I totally agree. And, I mean, you just touched on it there, so I guess we just move on to the next group, which is the running back group. Uh, we both were unanimous on at least one guy, and that was D'Angelo Brewer from Tulsa being a first-team all-conference player. But then we were a little bit split after that. Braden West from SMU obviously had a terrific year last year but I think I was a little bit higher on and I'm I guess it's because I also went to Temple but Raquel Armstead I thought he had a terrific year last year sharing the duties with Jihad Thomas and then this year he goes into the year as a young question starter I yeah I agree I think Armstead uh will I think he'll have a good year I was when I put together the rankings I was I was just unsure Thomas had such a good four years there at Temple and now that he's gone obviously Armstead is the guy that's going to take over but i'm just i just i haven't seen enough of him to give him the fisher you know top top honor uh like you said Braden west was solid had over a thousand yards and six touchdowns last year uh one thing he has going against them is he's probably going to share some time in the backfield with a couple other guys uh i mean there's injuries last year in that group but he will share some time Memphis is kind of a sleeper, if you ask me. Uh, they have three guys that are solid and will be kind of the X factor on their offense, if you will. Obviously, everybody knows Ferguson's going to hook up with Anthony Miller, who we'll talk about later. But I think the run game is really what's going to make their offense go. You mentioned Brewer as well. He doesn't have to share the backfield with James Flanders anymore, which only means good things for them. It's just they're, they have so much turnover everywhere else except for offensive line that I think it's kind of a wait and see for their offense. And then once you get towards the bottom of the conference, it's you kind of see maybe one guy that's, that's a starter. I mean, you have like Duke Catalan at Houston who was hurt last year. He kind of had some flashes, but nothing where you were, you could confirm that he was going to be, a major threat in the conference, but other than that, it's pretty much just everybody else is kind of in the wait and see for this season. 
Yeah, it's difficult. Running backs are one of those positions that, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, you can plug and play, but at the collegiate level, you know, that's part of the problem. There's always a lot of guys in the mix, so you really can't figure out who's the one guy that's going to stand out for particular teams. You just kind of touched on Memphis and, you know, their attack. I think we can both agree that they will have one of the top receiving cores in this conference. Actually, Talent-wise, for playmakers, it looks like you're really high on Memphis this year. Talk about a little bit about Anthony Miller and you know, what you see from the rest of the uh, conference. I just, I'm just, I don't know why I'm really high on Memphis. I just, I like what they have going on. Obviously, their defense is going to need a little bit of work before we can get, you know, too high on them. They, they will be one of the best, if not the best offenses in the conference and could be as well in the country uh miller's not i mean he's not a big guy he's not gonna you know win a ton of 50 50 balls like Gordon sutton from smu but he also is just a big play threat and he also has a couple other options uh phil mayhew returns and tony pollard who's also a returner is also a threat he was a he was a freshman last year so i just think Miller has so many weapons around him, which makes him better as well. And with Ferguson returning, it's just going to be really hard to stop them this year. I totally have to agree with you there. I think that receiving core is one of the better ones in the conference. There's, you know, some other groups I wanted to actually bring up. You know, I'm a big fan of tight ends. And I think there's two guys in this group that, you know, really stick out. Not sure that I don't want to go as far as to say as they would be Big-time playmakers, but they're two guys that will, you know, they're going to, in the AAC, are going to make noise, and that is Mitchell Wilcox of USF and then Jordan Atkins of UCF. Yeah, I think they're, like you said, they're not going to, they're not going to get over a thousand yards, I don't think. I think they just have, the, the reason why is they just have so many playmakers around them. It's kind of hard to get one guy involved so much when you have so many people. It's kind of a good problem to have if you're if you're an offensive coordinator. But yeah, Aikens and Wilcox will definitely be the two best. I don't really see anybody else competing with them, but then again, you know, there there can be surprises during the season. Now, I know we talked about this off the air, but the hardest group to kind of judge was the offensive line just because many of the guys who were all conference guys last year have graduated, moved on you know, or in the NFL or whatnot. So this year, going into the season, I think we both agree, Tulsa by far is going to have the best offensive line. They've got three guys who probably have a good shot of actually making it to the next level. And then the center position as a whole actually was really tough for me to judge because you have at least four or five guys who honestly could have been in discussion to have been in all-conference selection. Right, yeah, definitely. I I was surprised by how at first, I, when I looked at the offensive line here, I thought it was pretty top-heavy. Uh, you Like you mentioned, Tulsa has the three guys. Houston has seven, eight guys that will see time this year, which I thought was pretty crazy. They got a transfer in this year as well, which will bolster their line. But then after that, yeah, like you said, center was pretty tough to pick because there's four guys that, that can win all-conference honors. So it really just comes down to who has the better season. And then it seemed like more of a youth movement in in terms of depth because there's maybe one or two guys on each team that 
for sure are solid and will be leaders. But then after that, it's kind of just figuring out who's going to replace all those guys, like you mentioned, who went to the NFL. Yeah, I mean, we can admit that, you know, seniors and juniors are usually the ones that are, you know, your regular guys on the line. And with so many of those guys leaving, it was really hard to uh, make and figure out which guys would be the leaders here. I mean, I honestly had to go through a lot of research to figure that out. And you'll, you know, like I said, you'll hear our all-conference teams in a little bit just so you can kind of gauge what we were figured out there. But moving on to the other side of the ball, I think one of the things that the AAC probably doesn't get enough love about is they've got some guys who can really play some defense. Like, as I was going through this, I mean, each group, you've got some guys who you can really see making an impact at the next level and think we can agree me and you definitely did. Most of the nation's going to agree that Ed Oliver is not just one of the best in this conference, but one of the best players in the country and is by far the favorite going into the season to win the AAC Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, I, th- I think Oliver's easily the best defensive lineman in the country. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of guys that you you can argue will be up there with him, but I, if you if you just watch his film... He is so unbelievable off the ball. His effort is unmatched, and it's really a, just on top of his talent is one of the biggest reasons why he's so successful every single play. Now, along with him, he needs he needs some help. Uh, Nick Thurman's returning, but other than that, it's it's they need some some depth to help him out there. He can't obviously do everything, and now that people know what he can do, they're going to scheme against him. But for the most part, there, yeah, like you said, there's a ton of talent on the defensive line. One team that I was surprised with was Temple after losing Hassan Reddick. Uh, they've had so many people in the past on defense that have come and gone, but it seems like every year they're just finding new guys and reloading on, on the defensive line. Temple just finds a way to, you know, just keep churning out these guys. I mean, Reddick was one of those stories of, turns into a first-round pick, goes to, joins Bruce Arians, a former coach at Temple over in Arizona. And they do have some guys, uh, Michael Dobby and Freddie Booth Lloyd, who are going to make some noise this year. And, yeah, that's just a position just within the past 10 years for Temple. You just see, you know, they just keep churning out guys, whether it's Redick or Wilkerson or there was Knighton. You know, they just keep churning out these guys. So it's good to see from uh, my alma mater there. But before we move on, let's give some recognition to some of the other defensive linemen in that group. And that is, you know, I was actually one of the few guys that really stuck out to me was Justin Lawler and then Jesse Brubaker from Tulsa. You know, these are guys that I think maybe not on the level of saying they're going to be impactful enough to make it to the next level, but they will create some havoc in this conference. And that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think both of their defenses kind of because of their lack of success kind of hid the real reason why um, those two were so successful. I mean, Brubaker had 13 and a half tackles for loss last year and Lawler had 15. And I think because, I mean, S- SMU's defense was atrocious. I know if you go look at the numbers, it was, it was really tough to see. And Tulsa was better, but still struggled at times. And I think if, their defenses as a whole can get better, both of those players will get more recognition. So 
let's switch into the guys behind them, and that's those linebackers. And then of the whole group, this is by far the best group of all of them. You've got maybe four or five guys that are going to garner national attention, let alone just all-conference selection. So let's just throw out some of the names. you, know, you got Shaquem Griffin, who was the Defensive Player of the Year last year, Micah Thomas, Gennard Avery. Uh, you got Augie Sanchez, and you got two guys from UConn, which is a school, you know, that's really, you know, you kind of touched on it yourself. UConn wasn't ranked really high in just about any category except for this one, but they got two studs with Junior Joseph and Monte Diggs. Yeah, definitely. I was, I mean, I knew it coming in that those two were going to be a big reason why their defense gets better. Obviously, everyone knows their offense is is kind of the issue, but with, I mean, Brett Lashley coming in as the offense coordinator, that should get better. But Diggs and Joseph are, they're like you said, going to garner national attention. You go to Micah Thomas from Navy, he's a stud that's going to also get plenty of attention, and their defense will be good because of him. I think the thing with Griffin is everybody gets super, super excited when talking about him. I mean, guy has one hand, and he's the things that he's doing is incredible. I mean, he had almost 75 tackles last year, 20 tackles for loss, 11 and a half sacks, and I, I every time that I hear him doing something or see a play that he does, it's just it's unbelievable. It, it truly is. It is a remarkable story, you know. It's one of those things that every time he takes a field, you know, it's it's great to see, and but then he really makes an impact in a game too. So that's just even better for him and good for him. You know, I hope he continues to wreak havoc in the AAC, except for when he plays against Temple. So let's move on to the secondary, and we'll start with the cornerback group. Again, you're not going to hear much of Tulane being high on our list, but with Perry Nickerson there at Tulane, they've got a guy who's not only going to garner just attention here, but he's going to garner attention nationally. And he's a guy come down the road that like we could see in. I wouldn't say he's going to be in a you know the first couple rounds, but he could be a late late round steal for some team in the draft in a year. I definitely agree. Uh, when I was going through these lists, it was Tulane seemed to be mostly at the bottom through most of these lists, and then I get to defensive back, and Nickerson is a big big reason why. Tulane is, I mean, I put them first. I think he is phenomenal to watch, and he just pretty shuts down one half of the field. And then with the rest of the conference, there's just guys sprinkled in everywhere. I mean, everybody seems to need one or two guys to help out, but for the most part, they have at least one or two that can be leaders heading into this year. Uh, So, I mean, there's plenty of talent to go around the whole conference, and in a conference that's going to need secondaries to to perform because of the offenses that play in the league uh it's good to have some returning experience and hopefully that you can help that experience out yeah i totally agree with you there just to go over some you know some of the other names in the conference at corner uh jamar summers from uconn once again and just because i want to make sure we're not forgetting uconn on this show uh you can also bring in dietrich nichols from usf who i think is going to be you know, is going to be a big-time player for them because, you know, they're looking great on offense, but their defense does look a little bit suspect coming into the season. It, well, yeah, I was saying, I, I, the one thing with, with the Bulls this year has been how is their defense going to improve? 
And I think the addition of Charlie Strong really is going to make a huge difference for them. I mean, they weren't bad, but it was kind of the reason why they were struggling at times last year. And it'll be a big reason if they have a successful season in 2017 that it'll be because the defense is much improved. And like I said earlier, it's in, in a league that has such high-powered offenses, the secondaries really need to be sharp. Now, just to close the discussion on the secondary, let's touch on the safeties more because, once again, Temple guy here. So I believe the Temples has two of the best safeties in the conference in Sean Chandler and Delvin Randall. Garrett Davis down in Houston, you know, he, he's going to do really well for them. And then there's Jonathan Cook at Memphis, who, you know, Memphis defense doesn't get a lot of love, but he's a guy that's going to really make an impact for them this year because a lot of their guys actually, you know, they left last year. Yeah, uh, Chandler and Randall, I completely forgot that they were coming back, and I, I think that's huge for Temple defense. Uh, you mentioned Garrett Davis. Uh, he's joined with Khalil Williams in, in the defensive backfield, and Corner Jeremy Winchester, I think, now that he has a chance to actually play more, will excel at at that position as well. Uh, Cook is is needs some help. We'll just say that he's transferred from Alabama. He was their re- top returning tackler, which you never really want your safety to be your top returning tackler. But I think because he returns, it should mean good things for that group, and hopefully they can find a couple guys that can relieve some of that pressure on him all right and now i guess you know because kicker hunters are people too so we got to talk about them as well and i mean it wasn't much of a discussion to be honest i mean we were really our our picks for the all-conference team were kind of unanimous there and again the guy from temple really shocked everyone last year when he came out on the scene out of nowhere after austin jones you know went down with an injury he literally was a guy that he just picked up the street, ends up being one of the best kickers in the conference. Now they're going to enter the year with a competition, so good for them. They're, you know their kicking game is set. But then we got Spencer Smith at Memphis, who by far is probably the best kicker, or excuse me, best punter in the conference. And then return-wise, that's actually something I'm really looking forward to seeing. I mean, you already touched on Tony Pollard from Memphis. But Ernest Johnson is a guy who might see action at returner and at running back and really make a difference for USF this year. Yeah, I think Temple's situation at kicker is is very envious for most teams. I mean, you have two kickers. I mean, I think I heard Jones is potentially suspended, so he his status is up in the air. But they do have a good situation there. If you have two kickers that obviously can play, you don't really have to worry about that position. Redford Jones from Tulsa, obviously we both talked about, is is solid. And then going over the punting, like you said, Spencer Smith is one of the best in the conference and in the and in the country to say that. Uh, he's his 45.1 yard average was is seventh in college football last year and. I just think that it's it's not – people don't want to say that punter is a weapon, but flipping the field makes it so much easier for your defense. And then I completely agree. Johnson, I hope he gets a chance to return. I don't know if him playing running back and being the go-to guy now 
is going to limit those returns, they're probably going to find another person, but I really hope that he gets to go back there. And then, like I've touched on Pollard before, he's just dynamic, and teams are probably going to try to stay away from him in the return game. Yeah, that's the one good thing about the group of five in general is, you know, you find these impact guys at the return game when they first come in, and then Dearness Johnson was that for, for USF, and then the same thing goes for, for Pollard for Memphis. You know, these young guys come in, and you really don't know what to do with them in their first year, and then you put them on special teams, and these guys are, you know, phenomenal. And that's when you really find out, okay, these guys are weapons that we can turn around and use on on the other side of the ball as well. So with that said, I guess it's time to now, you know, we've kind of touched on some of the guys that we want to put in our all-conference discussion. Let's just go over the list right now, and we'll just go through every position. Like I said earlier, we were in unison about Flowers, and Ferguson being a one-and-two team at running back, we were off a little bit. We didn't touch on Dontrell Hillard from Tulane, who I really think this year, and granted he also benefits a little bit from the scheme that they run, but I really think he's a little bit underrated going into this year. I I would definitely agree. I think because they feature so many backs and so many guys are going to get touches, his stats may not add up to what maybe the Brewer will have or even Wester Armstead, but I think he is definitely one of the best backs in the conference. It's just I'm I'm worried about the number of carries that he's going to see this year. Which is, you know, like I said, with the system that they run, that's understandable. Right. Going into, you know, going to the receiver court, you brought up Cortland Sutton, or Sutton, excuse me, but we got we have to elaborate on him because he's not just one of the best players in this conference. He's going to be one of the better receivers in this country. He's going to be making his living at the NFL at some point. Talk about a little bit about him, and then, you know, there was actually quite a Quite a bit of the receivers, actually. We didn't go over many of them, actually, now that I'm looking at the list. You know, you have, we brought up Miller. Uh, we got Bonner from Houston, who we both picked for to be in the first team. But then you got some guys from other teams. You know, Ventel Bryant, I think, is a guy from Temple that is going to really turn it on this year. You know, he's been dealing with some nagging injuries over the years. Um, Devin Gray from Cincinnati, who you know, was a youngster last year who really has a chance this year to turn it on and really make a name for himself. And then there's Jimmy Williams from ECU who didn't get a lot of love last year just because Zay Jones was in the mix. You know, Zay Jones went high, you know, high in this draft here after, you know, recording all those receptions last year. But there's another guy who is going to make an impact and ECU, I mean, in general, you know, ECU is not getting a lot of love in this conference. Well, I think Williams gets kind of ignored. I mean, when when your top receiver has 158 catches in a year because your quarterback doesn't look at anybody else, I think the next receivers are just going to get ignored. But, I mean, Williams is definitely a threat. He had plenty plenty of yards last year and plenty of big plays. Uh, It's just that the offense just couldn't find a way to get him the ball. It helps if your quarterback has more time to throw, and hopefully that will be the case this year. Williams, obviously, is the go-to guy. And you mentioned Sutton before. We talked about him. I mean, he's 6'4". He's a big body. I just, it's, he's so hard to miss. He's going to be double teams probably most of the year. The nice thing that SMU has going along with Sutton is they have a few other weapons to utilize as well. So teams can't just focus on Sutton, and that's what's going to hurt defenses. 
he's going to be open because other guys are getting open. I mean, they added LSU's Trey Quinn, uh, who just didn't work out there for the Tigers. And I think that because he, they have so many options to throw to, Ben Hicks is going to excel as well. Yeah, I think Hicks is the one quarterback outside of Ferguson and Fowler who's got a shot to really impress this season. We'll move into our offensive line. We talked about the Tulsa guys earlier. I think they they will have three guys in the preseason and probably in the you know the postseason awards. That being Evan Plague, Todd Bowling, and Chandler Miller. We talked about how well they are doing at you know the conferences at center and Will Noble being our unanimous pick at the second team. Gabe Kuhn from Memphis for for ta- or for excuse me for guards. I think the one thing we were a little bit between the you know, two of us was the tackles and the guards of who should be the second team. I think we were kind of unanimous on the first team before second team. But that, again, goes back to the conversation we said earlier. Was we didn't know much about this offensive line group heading into this. So that was kind of hard to gauge going in. Yeah, definitely. I think the nice thing is, like we mentioned earlier, is there's a lot of talent spread out throughout each team. And there's plenty of top guys, which is kind of the reason for our disagreements here but i think the first team obviously the three Tulsa guys you mentioned I mean, how if they're not good this year that's going to be super surprising to me i i don't know how brewer doesn't get 1500 plus yards the real question will be the, the pass game obviously but that that won't have much to do with the line the quarterback should have plenty of time to throw with those three guys and yeah just the second team the there's going to be disparity because there's just so many people that you could pick between. And it wouldn't surprise me if some of the guys that we left off make a run at either the first or the second team. Yeah. You know, offensive linemen, they are, you know, it's, it's hard to say that they're plug and play because there are so many of them that are really good, but it's really one of those positions that, you know, next man up, you see guys, get hurt, come back the next year, really step in, and that's how you see. And there's going to be a couple teams in this conference that we're going to see that are like, we were missing some guys last year because of injury. They're going to come back, and let's be real. I mean, we just kind of just forgot about them a little bit because they were hurt, but they're really going to solidify some of these lines. We can also say that for some of the defensive lines, too. We brought up Lawler and Brubaker earlier, but I really want to touch on Kevin Muhan from Cincinnati. I you know. I picked him for for second team. Don't think you did, but that's a guy who I really think has a shot to really make a name for himself this year. I think I think Cincinnati is going to surprise a lot of people, and it really all starts on defense. Uh, that I mean, obviously they have the the new coach Luke Fickle who's coming in. He's a defensive guy, which that's only going to mean good things for this group. Cincinnati's D-line as a whole, I think, besides Mulan, is just, just going to be one of the best in the conference, and they have plenty of depth to back up that top talent, which is one thing that's going to help that turnaround. I mean, obviously, the offense has to get going, but the defense, I think, is really going to excel under Pickle. Yeah, I want to make sure we bring up uh, Cortez Broughton in this. You know, he was another guy that we put on the second team out of Cincinnati, to switch over now to the linebackers, we we touched on that earlier. I mean, I'm pretty sure I named all six guys earlier. But even behind behind Griffin, Thomas, Avery, Sanchez, Joseph Diggs, this this I think is the conference's 
how do I put this in the words, their most in-depth position would be at linebacker. And to be honest, that's not really something, you know, a lot of teams in the country are struggling to find linebackers, and yet the American has a lot of guys who are, you know, potentially be really good at the next level. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that'll get more more attention to the conference is just the talent level. I mean, like you said, the the six guys that we listed, you honestly could interchange all six of them and put them on the first team or second team, and I don't think anybody would disagree with the order that those six are are really really the top six. But like you said, there's there's so much depth in this conference at that position. I mean, some guys have left. You have Nico Marley who left at Tulane. You have Steven Taylor who left from Houston, but there's just guys behind them that can step in and make a big impact because they played last year or even the year four as well. Let's end this discussion. With, we actually did touch on much of the secondary. Uh, we talked about all the guys that we picked for our all-conference selections and the safety position, but at the corner position, you know, we left out Jordan Wyatt from SMU, who we both unanimously picked to be in as our first team. And then there was Jordan Summers that we touched on earlier, but Jeremy Winchester from Houston. And it's weird that we've gone through this episode and we haven't talked about Houston enough, to be honest with you. Other than the Ed Oliver discussion, we have not talked about Houston enough, who in your rankings ranks very high in just about every category other than the special teams ones. Yeah, I think Houston has uh, when I, when I when I look at Houston, they have plenty of the top talent. Offensive line obviously shouldn't be an issue for them. I think with them, it really just comes down to their depth. And in their spring game, they had plenty of injuries to the top guys, so they got a chance to to have the second and third and even fourth guys take some reps against the top talent. So I think that if they can develop some depth, they they easily could win the conference. I mean, we both talked about USF, Houston, and Memphis are probably the top three picks if you had to pick three teams that should win the conference this year. And I think it's because they have so much top talent. And for all of them, it's pretty much they just have to find that depth. And I don't think they'll have any problem figuring that out. Uh, Winchester, like we mentioned earlier, is is now the go-to guy uh, as far as corners go on their team. They lost Howard Wilson, obviously, and then Brandon Wilson as well, who kind of moved to safety last year. But I think defensively, Houston could be, again, one of the best in the conference and even in the nation. Yeah, it's actually kind of shocking that we've gone so far into the show and that we're just now talking about how you know Houston, who many feel is the best G5 program available, and we're just now getting into that discussion. So there was a little bit of a point system that you kind of did going over this. Going by that, on offense, you had Memphis by far. Well, I, wouldn't, I don't want to say by far, but you had Memphis way out there on offense. And with that, are you confident enough to say that that's going to be the team that's going to win the AAC this year? I've found that it's it's really hard when you're pegged as the favorite to win the conference, which USF has, for the most part, been the favorite to win the conference. And, and it's really hard when you're pegged at the beginning of the year to win the conference and you have this potential Heisman winner on your team 
to follow through during the year. And I'm not saying that USF is just going to bomb the season and be bad, but I think not many people are talking about Memphis enough. I mean, they have things to fix on defense, but their offense is going to be really hard to stop. So I really think people need to start paying attention to the Tigers. And even Houston, for that matter, I think Houston doesn't get enough love because Tom Herman's gone. And I think many people just kind of doubt Major Applewhite. But I, I really think that both Memphis and Houston are two teams that need to get more respect in the conference. One of the surprising things I've noticed going into this, I've noticed as of late going on to, and this is national media, but some of the things is that Navy is a surprising favorite to actually make it back to the AAC championship game. Do you see that being a realistic possibility? Because, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns. You know, I mean, there's major turnover quarterback. They lost the safety to transfer and... While I don't want to count them out because that is a team that is really hard to count out because they run the triple option and all that, but I just don't see how they really stack up with the rest of the conference that some people are actually picking them to end up in that championship game once again. I think offensively it's really hard to to measure talent in terms of triple option because they have so many weapons and the triple option is just so difficult to, to stop. So, I can't say for sure that they won't be in it. I, I would, would say that betting against them probably isn't the smartest decision you'll make. Uh, I just don't think Zach Abbey has the it factor, if you will, that Will Worth had or Keenan Reynolds had before before Worth. I think when you watched the Army-Navy game, Abbey just looked lost for the first half, and he did end up settling down, but I just don't think he has enough to impact the game like his two predecessors. I do have to totally agree with you. I was there for that AAC championship game, and it was a little bit of a shock to see Temple be able to move the ball, you know, the way they did against a team that just a couple weeks prior, you know, just hit the 70 mark scoring-wise, which was, you know, absurd. So... It was awesome to be there as a Temple alum to see Temple win their first conference championship ever. It was one of those things I was really honored to be there as a Temple alum. And I'm going to keep rummaging that I'm a Temple alum as long as they're champions for this year. And we're doing this podcast. So, <laughs> But I really, on that note, there's not really much more for us to say here. We, you know, we really touched on everything we wanted to talk about. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Underdog Dynasty, me at Joe Serp, Joey at Joey Broback. Make sure you listen to everybody else. You know, we want to make sure you listen to not just our American podcast, but make sure you listen to the Sunbelt Conference USA. We're here to support G5 football. There's not enough love out there for G5 football. That's why we're out here doing this. So please listen to all of us. We greatly appreciate it. That's all we got for episode four. And until next time, Thanks for listening to the Underdog Podcast.